0: And just like that, the show has begun. Welcome, everyone. It's Peter Don. Welcome to the Pete the Planner Show. Joining me, as always, is Damian Don. Hello, Dame. Hello, Pete. Oh, it's the show within the show. Do you ever try to explain what the show slash podcast is? Like, Do you ever try to explain the complexity of it?
1: I mean, do we make a show about making a show? I mean, it's... Not that hard. It's
0: like the Larry Sanders show. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, hello, everyone. Good to be with you. I hope your life is grand. That seemed insincere. Mm. Uh, Exciting show today, Dame. We've got uh, what could be the biggest business fail of all time?
1: Yeah. It's not good.
0: Also talking about dependability. When you look at the dependable people in your life... Does it speak to their financial stability or vice versa? It's like a chicken or the egg thing. Are they dependable because they're stable or are they stable because they're dependable? Danza, hello. Good to be with you. I am looking fancy today. You guys want to hear a story about this chocolate brown tuxedo jacket I'm wearing? Yes. Uh, Oh, for those podcast people, listeners, audio only. Sorry, but it's a little bit (laughs) handsome. Dame, I believe the year was 2007, I think. Indie Style was a local television show. It was like, you know when like local morning not exactly news shows like lifestyle shows were really sure. new. Sure. Well, in Indianapolis where I live on Wish TV, which I did a lot of work for at the time, they started a new show called Indie Style. And every week I was the personal finance expert on Indie Style, which you think, wow, how how do you have room for anything else on your resume? Right? Yeah, Uh, And uh, I wore this jacket on the debut um, episode of Indie Style in 2007. And you're thinking, well, well, is it out of style now? No, it's sort of a classic, oddly enough, a chocolate brown uh, uh, Hmm. satin lined tuxedo jacket. And most importantly, as Mrs. Planner uh, said this morning,
1: it still fits. I would have argued that it was possibly never in style. Oh, well. Not
0: in your style. Dame, uh, have
1: you had a good week? Uh, I have had a good week. Looking forward to the weekend. Did we have a show last week? No, we did not. And if we did, I think we both missed it. Okay. Um,
0: Dame, as I tend to say on Fridays, i got a lot of stuff to do. So you want to just go ahead and do this darn thing?
1: It's the least shocking thing I could have expected to come out of your mouth. What do you
0: got this weekend? I've got... Oh, Oz! The great land of Oz. Oz, our our beloved coworker, who everyone who meets her loves her. People who don't even know her love her. She's just a delightful human. She's running a marathon tomorrow, so I'm taking the kids down. And we're going to cheer for her. Um, that's exciting.
1: Yeah, I wish I lived closer so I could do that. My uh, the Aqua Duns will be in full effect this weekend, starting this evening. So. Uh, a full weekend in uh, chlorinated, very humid environments for me.
0: Oh, those are the worst. Um, all right, let's do it. Uh, the show, we're going to start it. I'm going to sort of, I feel it's been two weeks, so I am like, forget how to do this. <laughs> in three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, at Pete dot com. at petetheplanner.com. That's Pete at petetheplanner.com, and we'll, we'll take a shot. At answering your questions, I I said we, plural. Damien Dunn joins me, as most often, uh, vice president of advice at Your Money Line and Hey Money. Dame, how is it going? <laughs> it's it's going okay. Dame, I've got a very strange vibe today. I'm wearing a chocolate uh, brown tuxedo jacket. I've had a lot of caffeine and I have a lot to do. So let's get to the show dame i love to read uh fascinating stories about business decisions gone awry not because i'm dancing on the graves of americans america's great companies but because sometimes you see how high stakes a decision can be in the last couple weeks it has come out that zillow which is a, a really useful app. I have it on my phone and it's not useful as much as it is interesting. You can just sort of look at what homes are worth and where you live and you drive driving by a neat area. You pull it up, you, you have it look at your location. You can sort of look at homes. Uh, anyway, uh, they have reported that it's, they are unloading 7,000 homes very quickly because of the hundreds of millions of dollars of losses they've generated in their attempt to buy a bunch of homes and then resell them. They're, they got in the home-flipping business at mass scales, and it, and it caused them to lay off
1: 25% of their workforce this week. Dane, that seems like a bad business decision. Yeah, you kind of wonder how a company that focuses on real estate and tracking real estate prices, uh, allegedly just only tracking real estate prices, could uh, be this bad at estimating what houses would be worth if they bought them at the right price. So, uh, not great. Okay, you said two very interesting things there, which is
0: which is which is refreshing. Finally, this year, mm. um, Dame. First of all, you said allegedly, so I want to I want to talk about like is are are there you thinking they're tracking things other than home prices?
1: No, no, I, I think they uh, may be a little aggressive on the home prices that they uh, they publish when they send out their estimates of how much your home may be worth at the time. I I don't know if you do, Pete, but. Uh, uh somehow, some way we got signed up for a monthly email that sends us a, a little note that says, Hey, based on our calculations and the, the houses that have sold around you, we think your home is worth somewhere in this range. And I don't know, for like the last year I've looked at that number and said, There is no way my house is worth that much money. No way. So what's interesting, I'm glad you bring this up. Uh, I look at ours all the
0: time because it's fascinating just to watch it go up at a breakneck pace. And not because I think it's reality, but because I'm just amazed that Zillow thinks it's reality. Uh, If they want to make me an offer at that price and then get burned on the home because they can't sell it, uh, go right ahead. And so that's your second point, Dame, is that this service is meant to help people understand market prices for homes in, in particular areas, and so if they're publicly presenting, uh, it, let's just let's use some numbers here. Let's say your home is objectively worth two hundred thousand dollars. You think you could sell for two hundred thousand, and let's say Zillow says, no, nah, bruh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> it's worth two hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars, and so they they say that, and you get all gassed up, and you're like, Let's go, and then. Are what what we're suggesting here is that they're purchasing homes at inflated values because they use those values to stoke their business and then it burns them because they can't unload the inflated valued homes?
1: Well, I think I have no idea how this actually works on Zillow's side. I would assume that if, if they're saying, hey, we'll buy your house, it is at a maybe not steep discount, but a significant discount over what they may be publishing just because it's you know no hassle hey uh, we'll make this quick and easy and and we can get you on to your to your next home by the way check out our app for your next home as well too while you're at it uh i just don't see i i think they were inflating those prices in hopes to continue to drive that market higher while they could to make their job of flipping and making a little bit of cash easier on the other side in the third quarter, Zillow bought 9,700
0: homes and booked a $304 million write-down on inventory owned at the end of the period. But Dame, how... So if they're flipping the homes, is and again, I, I know you're not a, a real estate expert, and I also know that you don't study Zillow's business strategies, which I'm glad because that could impact ours in a negative way. Uh, They're flipping the homes. Are are they doing repairs or are they just looking for good values and then trying to take advantage of the market? Do you know anything about that? I
1: I saw that a number of the homes they bought, they discovered needed uh, uh, some modifications, some refurbishment (laughs) before they were going to sell them. So it looks like there was, and I could be totally wrong, very little research done on the actual homes they were buying. They just saw an incredibly hot real estate market thinking, you know what, we'll buy some stuff if we have to put a few few bucks into these these homes, we're still gonna be able to turn around and flip them. Because uh, you know, they were focused in really big, really traditionally hot markets. Phoenix, they had a ton of houses in Phoenix.
0: Yeah, and Phoenix is always one of those very dynamic real estate markets. It always it always has been. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about what are those sorts of markets? Vegas mm-hmm. is uh, right alongside Phoenix where there was a big uh you know, alleged boom of where people mm-hmm. go to to live. Uh it is on the surface it's like okay, if flipping houses is good and profitable, then flipping thousands of houses must be really good. But if you don't have the infrastructure in, in the scalable plan, then it, then it really falls apart. Where do you think this ranks amongst the biggest business
1: fails of all time? That's a fair question. I, I mean, it's it's gotta be up there. I mean, this is a, it's, it's interesting because the core service of Zillow wasn't flipping houses. No. It, it's, it's just their website and the information they provide and all that good stuff. And this was a way they thought they could leverage what the information, the data that they've already collected And make a few extra bucks so their core business i don't think is really going to be affected by this at all but this is a massive screw up on not the idea the implementation of the idea in my estimation
0: do you think this is a hail mary business process where they said hey our current monetization strategy is sort of on its last leg um, and so this is the true product and service we will be as a home flipping organization. That's not that unusual is that a, a business pivots to see what their true monetization strategy is. It go go no further than Netflix that at one point in time was sending uh, DVDs in the mail in completely indestructible envelopes, uh, oddly. But then they realized that their monetization strategy was actually to be internet flicks as opposed to mail flicks that sounds weird mm. uh <laughs> i don't even want to know <laughs> don't google that anybody uh i will also note since we're talking about netflix one of the greatest business fails of all time as many people have noted is that blockbuster didn't buy netflix when they had the opportunity
1: yeah yeah that was a, a big oops
0: uh, new coke is often pointed to as a, a complete disaster The idea that Coke wanted to change their formula and it cost them a lot of money in sales. I I actually was on a podcast with a friend uh, about that topic. And what was really interesting, if I remember correctly, which I very rarely do, the guy that came up with Diet Coke, who was lauded, lauded a thing, yes, uh, as like an icon of new beverage ideas, had the idea for New Coke and it completely backfired on him. But he was a genius with Diet Coke, New Coke. Not so much.
1: Clear Pepsi. You remember Clear Pepsi? Mm,
0: I do remember Clear Pepsi. We used to have some Clear Pepsi at the Dunn household when I was a kid. Really? Yeah. Huh? We drank so much, uh, <laughs> so, so many soft drinks as a kid. Like, I can just see Mrs. Planner and I just shuddering, thinking about our kids having that many carbonated beverages. But, alas, different times. We even mm. wear seat belts and have helmets these days. Dame, coming up after the break, Dependability. I have a new theory. I wrote about it in the Indianapolis Business Journal this week. I want to share it with you. I want to share it with everybody. Does being dependable make you financially stable? All that is next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. All right. I started reading email again while we're on the air.
1: I appreciate the dedication and focus you give me during this I know. It it wasn't something
0: I had to answer here. You know what I mean? Maybe you don't know what I mean. Maybe... You do know what I mean, but it still doesn't excuse it. That's probably I'll, right. Well, I'll let you fill in the right answer. <laughs> All right. So Dame, should I book this meeting at eleven that with this person? No, I can't do that today. Or later this afternoon. Yeah. Uh, you better give yourself a little bit of time. Or uh how about eleven fifteen? Eleven fifteen.
1: You can okay. do it on 15. Is it uh just a phone call? Uh it's something like that.
0: Yeah, okay. All right. Sorry, booking appointments on the air, everybody. All right. So, Dame, let's do dependability. Let's hit it. Oh, hey, Mike. Good to be with you. Thanks for uh, joining us on Facebook Live. (sighs) Dame, I had something really good to talk about on the show, and since I put very little thought into it this week, I don't know where remember it is. Let's do dependability. What's that? No travel stories? I haven't been traveling. Sports stories?
1: Mm,
0: No. I don't know. Okay. In three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show, Dame, you know, every couple of weeks I have to sit down on my computer and think about things to write for people to read and mock me over. Can you hear my stomach growling? By the way, nope. Oh, I was at my grandma's funeral last weekend, and uh, lovely woman, and my I didn't eat and the, the service was going very long, and and my stomach starts growling. My cousins, who are like three rows ahead of me, like turn around and look at me. The funeral's being live-streamed because that's how you do funerals these days, and there's right. this big uh, shotgun mic that's picking up the growling of my stomach, so all these people honoring my grandma at home are, are hearing my stomach growl. Alas, I write my IBJ column this week about dependability, and my my theory is this. if you th- If you think about how you view others to be dependable, what the quality you see in them is the resourcefulness they have and how they use those resources to help you achieve what you're looking for from them. It's a little heady. It's a little heady. Dame, when you say someone is dependable, what you're saying is you like how they handle assisting you with what you need assisted with, right? So to me... That's a resourcefulness situation right yeah and so here's where this extends to to possible learning (laughs) when you consider your own level of dependability not not only how others view you to be dependable but how dependable you find yourself to be i think it is also an evaluation of your resourcefulness. At various times in my life, as I think about whether I viewed myself as to be dependable or not, if I if I truly try to be objective and not lie to myself and gas myself up, uh, there were times where I didn't find myself to be dependable. And if I thought about why, it's because I didn't trust myself with the resources that were
1: allocated to me. Does that track? Yeah, I think so. I I also think it's a really interesting concept, uh, dependability in general, because what you consider dependable and what I consider dependable may be completely different, or or um, at least different shades of, of the same color. If if I only come through twenty five percent of the time on stuff that I promise, but somebody comes through fifty percent of the time, I'm going to look at them as pretty darn de- dependable, whereas you may just dismiss in- entirely because man, you just can't count on them when the chips are down. So. Uh, dependability is a, a really interesting topic, but one that we all uh, recognize and generally um, appreciate. I almost said laud just to tie it back to the first segment, yeah, but like uh, it's uh, it, it's a really interesting concept.
0: Did uh, Did you pick up on this idea, though, that we're not saying someone is dependable because they're wealthy and we're not saying someone is dependable because they have high income what we're saying is whatever resources are available mm-hmm. to them, they make them available to help serve you. And again, that's not to loan you money. Hey, can I depend on you to loan me 500 bucks? It's not that. I, 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 when I say begin to, to write about this and think about it, I got to this idea of like, okay, it's, it's midnight. You're in Denver and you're trying to fly back to Indianapolis you're not gonna get Uber. You need someone to pick you up, but there's a massive rainstorm. You need them to pick you up at the uh, at the exact minute you walk out of the airport so you don't get wet and the timing has to be right. Who are you calling? Right. To to me, that's like that's the the time resource side of things, but I think time and money are, are rather linked. Who do you call to be at the gate to pick you up? In a situation like that, and, and Dame, I f- I, we talked about this as a, a bigger team this week of, go ahead, think through your life, think through your relationships. Who is the most dependable person you know and what is it about them that makes them dependable? And once you do that, my guest tells me that they are also financially stable because they understand how to use resources effectively.
1: It's very um, tempting for I think most of us, if if you're you're married or in a committed relationship, that you you probably are going to default to your spouse, or you may want to prioritize them. I think this becomes a, a really interesting challenge if you say it can't be that person who you're in a relationship with. You have to force yourself that. to think outside of that very tight circle that you find yourselves in on a day in day out basis. Who is it? Is it a parent? Is it a coworker? Is it uh, somebody from an organization that you belong to. Um, and why do you think they're dependable? Is it because they come through on projects? Is it because of a, a long history of um, uh, helping you out with, with with odds and ends or their dedication to a different project that you're not even involved with? Um, I don't know. It, it's, uh, when you first asked this question uh, in, in that meeting, um, it was deceptively simple.
0: Yeah, because a lot of people went to their spouses or their parents. But if you remove that possibility, uh, and again, the the point of this whole thing is not just like a guy who drank too much and needed to write a column. Instead, (laughs) (laughs) Instead, it's to say, okay, do I trust myself? Can I actually depend on myself to be a good steward of resources? And so if you look outside your immediate family, it does get a lot more complex. And so in that spirit, Dame, I will answer the question. One of the most dependable people I know, and I'm going to also separate work because I don't think sure. that's, it's, sure. work is at times like family. Uh, my friend, Greg, who also happens to be my financial advisor, uh, I find him to be the, one of the most dependable people I've ever met. And it's not that he'd be there if I needed anything. It's just to know if I ever needed anything, he'd be there, right? It's sort of a weird flip of that. And it's not that I would need money from him. It's that I would need guidance, (laughs) and I would trust that the guidance he would give me would be right, or I I needed time, and that time would be allocated towards me. Uh, But I guess it's not surprising that the person I choose is also a financial
1: advisor, (laughs) my financial (laughs) advisor. That's sort of weird. What do you think about... um... Cause i I think there's almost different tiers of uh, dependability where if you know if 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 there's something that's eh, kind of important, it may get ignored but if if it's something that's super important, now you know you can count on this person. Do you have anybody in your life like that that that's kind of like eh, i mean yeah i'll I'll get around to it if i can do you, do you think that comes into the the equation at all here? That's interesting because I think,
0: and that is incredibly interesting to me because then it becomes, is your ask unreasonable? Mm -hmm. Are you asking someone to be dependable to an unreasonable request? And so my personal default on that is I'm not going to make a request of someone that is unreasonable. Uh, I think tapping your network or making uh, uh, withdrawals of human capital in an unnecessary time never makes sense. Dame, let me tell you a story. When I was in high school, uh, I I was a pretty good high school student, not in, academically, but just in terms of the school community, right? I I, I was a, a sort of a, a you know, did a lot of extracurriculars, and I helped the school along, and and did lots of good things, and I had a, a relatively reasonable reputation. My senior year, uh, late in the in the year, I, I was uh, there was a fire drill. And uh, the teacher was like, hey, let's go out. It's like this young teacher. And she was like, she's like 22, 23. She's like, hey, it's a fire drill. Let's go. And I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm going to stay here. She's like, no, no, come out. And I was like, I get it. I feel you. I'm staying here. But it was like total jerk move, right? Yeah. Major withdrawal. Major withdrawal of credibility. So I got sent to the principal's office. And the principal said, look, here's the thing. You've made a lot of deposits uh, in here in the last four years. Uh, this is one major withdrawal. Uh, just so you know, if you make another withdrawal, it's going to be a problem. And that has stuck with me for a very long time. And I think about relationships in that way. I would much rather make deposits than consistently, uh, make withdrawals on people's time, which brings us back to dependent to dependability. I sort of keep mental track, not of who owes me. It's not that, but, uh, of, of, who understands that same dynamic and would be there to serve? So, yeah, turns out I absolutely was a jerk to that teacher. And I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I feel bad. All right, Dan, let's do this. Come back up after the break. I'm going to sort of a potpourri of what's next here on the Peter Planner. Little Peloton stuff, little other things. You'll see. It's next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. Dan, you know why that tease was subpar? No because i don't remember what the third segment's about what did we decide
1: Uh, peloton
0: well we we said something we're like oh let's do this and then
1: yeah and there was something else but personal finance thing
0: it'll it'll come to (laughs) us um yeah total jerk move i was like i'm good um, I don't think I like said I'm good, honey. Like that would be like real bad yeah. uh, to the teacher. <laughs> but she was, she was like twenty-two. She's like your peer, yeah. you know. And so I was like, "Eh,
1: I'm working on this." You know, um, oh. I did something pretty similar to a very young teacher, uh, but I was much younger than you were. So that's my my uh, explanation for that. How old so, were you? Eighth grade. You can't. Play that card in eighth grade. Oh, I did. Oh, that's
0: a bad, bad move. Yeah. Uh, what was the segment? Oh, was it? Oh, it was it um, retirement versus college uh, student. Oh loan? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. How,
1: how to prioritize? Okay. Or what you should prioritize. This is gonna go well. It's gonna be great. Okay. Uh, viewers on Facebook Live, if you've got anything you want us to talk about. By all means, yeah, just throw it in, th- throw it we'll, in, because we'll we're, we're starting the segment. We're we're gonna go. Well,
0: we'll do it live. Mm-mm. Okay, here we go. In three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show, Dame. I was doing an event this week, a live virtual stream, oh. and I got a great question. It's a it's a very common question. A younger person just starting their career, trying to get out of student loan debt. I'm talking about the importance of starting retirement savings early because it just makes your life a lot easier. And I said, okay, tough guy. How do you, how do you prioritize getting out of pesky student loan debt with saving the appropriate amount for retirement? Now, Dame, I asked this question to you because for a very long time, there was this rule of thumb within the financial world that said the following, hit the match and then work on debt. Mm -hmm. And so the idea was that, let's say, if your employer is putting in 4%, uh, as long as you put in 4%, then you better put in that 4%, so you get your 4%, and therefore you're contributing at an 8% pace. And then whatever additional discretionary income you have, then um, it goes towards debt. Here's the problem with that. You are setting yourself up for failure from a retirement planning perspective by making it harder later. If your personal finance goals are to make tomorrow easier, then saving it 8% as opposed to the prescribed 12% immediately puts you on a mathematical track to failure.
1: Yeah, you're going to have to make some potentially uncomfortable decisions. And I say that because chances are cash flow might be a little tight right When you get out of college with all these new expenses, that you've got between you know rent and transportation and you know, all the other stuff that, that you might never have had to deal with before. Now you've got to pay back some student loans, and somebody's telling you, some bald guy's telling you that you got to save 12, 14, 16 percent towards retirement while you're uh, trying to get everything else figured out in your life. Well, where in the world's all this money going to come from? You're gonna have to start cutting some other stuff out. If you want to do everything that you're being told, that's an uncomfortable decision. Let's let's do uh, math on the radio, everybody. So fun. your
0: favorite segment. Oh, here, let's do a little stinger here. Now it's time for math on, math on the radio. It's when I grab my calculator and start doing math. Dame, let's say you're a Yonker, which of course is young man. Oh, do you remember that from the uh, old standardized tests here in Indiana when you were a kid? You, a wuzzle is to mix. Uh, a Baloo is a bear. <laughs> a yonker is a young man. Do you remember that? Uh,
1: I think I'm. It's it's coming back to me.
0: Anyway, yeah. Let's say you make fifty thousand dollars a year as a young man, uh, right? Or young woman, young anything doesn't matter. Ferret for all I care. Uh, and I'm saying, all right, um, if your employer matches up to four percent, if you put in four percent, then you are putting away two thousand dollars a year, or a month or $83 if you get paid twice a month per pay period. Okay. Okay? Now, by me telling you to uh, do the right amount, which is to put in 8% and let your employer's uh, total take you up to 12%, right? Because their match is 4, you're putting in 8, you're doubling that 2,000, which the math would suggest here on this handy-dandy iPhone, the 2000 doubled is $4,000. Whoa. Yeah. $4,000 on a monthly basis is $333.33, Dame. I would also note, if you divide that back down to the number of pay the paychecks, you're talking about $166 per paycheck if you get paid twice a month as opposed to $83 per paycheck. And I will tell you that $83 difference, that $83 difference per paycheck is the difference between you retiring and not retiring, Dame, do you think looking at it through this lens, it makes it more understandable, or is it still relatively difficult for someone to pull this off?
1: I. It may make it more. Can it be both? It may make it more understandable and incredibly difficult to pull off because sometimes the dollars are just in short supply. Todd
0: on YouTube Live, who uh, is following along, because every, uh, I almost said noon, every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, we record the show live on uh, YouTube Live, Facebook Live, and Twitter Live. Todd notes, if one would still live like a broke college student for the first few years out of college, then perhaps they could tackle the debt, contribute the 12% 401k at the same time. No? Yes and no is actually the answer to that, I believe. Dame, I think... Um, Housing expenses and not being supported via parents and or student loans uh, that transition into funding your own lifestyle is is rather
1: difficult for most people and a lot more expensive than it used to be. I, I agree, and i I think just the whole uh, mentality of having lived for the last four plus years as a broke college student. You're finally getting paychecks with probably the most numbers you've ever seen on it at any given point in time. You're going to want to go out and treat yourself a little bit. And you and I both know how easy it is to have lifestyle creep happen really, really fast. What is the first thing you bought post-college
0: Okay, that was... In retrospect, the opposite of continuing to live like a broke college student. I have one that is redonkulous. I'll go first. Go right ahead. Dame, Mrs. Planner and I got engaged in the spring of our junior year in college. I figured I was not getting any better looking, not getting any funnier, and I locked, her, locked it in, locked it in. And so upon graduation, uh, our I would say May, April of May of our senior year, um, I bought a house, bought bought a house. So I went from living in a fraternity house, regrets, to living in my own home. And then when Mrs. Planner and I got married a month later, she moved in with me. We cohabitated as married folk. And that was a bad idea. Now, whereas, whereas it would arguably be the same cost of, of renting at that time, it really put a lot of pressure on my first level of income.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I I think mine uh, was transportation-related, which would probably shock you. uh, Bought a really big truck. That (laughs) That is so on brand for you. I know. It was the kind of truck where you could watch the fuel gauge go down as you're driving down the highway. It was loud and obnoxious and... Uh, regretted it almost instantly. <laughs> did you have a payment or did you pay cash? Paid cash. Still regret. I was probably spending as much in gas as what a normal payment would have. Oh, been. I got it another one. Not uh, good.
0: I got another one. And although this person is watching from heaven, uh, we, we bought our dog Otis. Uh, he's a he's crossed the rainbow bridge or whatever. So Otis, our our pug, uh, Mrs. Planner and I moved into our home. A month later, we bought a dog from a breeder, Ooh. $800. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so here, okay. So, I mean, you can see it setting up. You're like, oh, we're a couple. We've got a dog now in our home. I mean, it's, everything's obnoxious. Lots of pottery barn stuff everywhere. <laughs> it was awful. And uh, it's funny how those little isolated decisions when seen in retrospect and with more perspective, uh, oh, it's just soul crushing of like the, the bind we put ourselves into financially by spending a third of our emergency fund on a dog. Otis.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Otis.
0: Our next dog, I'll note, was uh, a rescue. So we had hey, a boy. The nice car. Job. Yeah, you know. Uh, anyway. Oh, good times! So the question from the person was: Do I pay off student loans or do I save for retirement? I I would say this: If you have a match, if you have an employer match that's that that can get you to twelve percent with your contribution, find a way to do it. Find a way. If you do, this seems promissory, but it is. You will be a millionaire. You will absolutely be a millionaire, and it's there's nothing great about being a millionaire other than you'll be able to support yourself forever. And and the fact that you will say, "Oh, I'll figure it out later," nah, you probably won't. It's a lot more difficult than you think. It may take you eight years to get up to the right level, and those eight years mean that it's not twelve percent anymore, Dame. Oh, it's seventeen percent, eighteen percent, something like that. Yeah, so. You're gonna you're gonna miss a doubling. In those eight years. You are going to miss a doubling. You will have half as much money. I don't know if that's how it works. Dame, coming up after the break, uh, biggest waste of money of the week in the news. I'm Pete the Planner. This is the Pete the Planner Show. We came together. Very nice. It's almost like it was professional. I was getting ready this morning. Uh, this could probably explain the uh, chocolate velvet dinner jacket I'm wearing right now. And I was, I was like, I listened to the radio in the morning, to listened to Pandora or something, and I was like, I want to listen to Billy Joel songs. All right. <laughs> so I just started listening to Billy Joel songs, and, and Mrs. Planner walks in, and she's like,
1: well, it's going to be a weird day, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you see he's going to try and sell his catalog, or he might sell his catalog? Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I um, I listen to Howard Stern on a pretty regular basis, and uh, he did an interview on there a couple weeks ago, and he, he mentioned as much. Huh. All right, uh, I'm looking for a biggest waste of money of the week. I'm very prepared for today's show. It's been quite the week. I bought a mixing glass to make cocktails in this week. How caramel it's something. I don't regret it though. It's twenty Fine. bucks, I think
1: guess that's all that's important. What's important? You don't regret it,
0: yeah, that's probably not a good measure of whether something's yeah. a good decision or not yeah. That's a col- column. <laughs> <laughs> if your answer is, I don't regret it. That's so true, dude. That's a that's a good uh, that's a good point. Okay. You got some news stories? I mean, because I, I feel like I'm waiting on you. Mm, uh, hang on. <laughs> uh, yes, I do. Okay. Um. All right. You know what? I got one. It's gonna be forced. And here we go. <laughs> And three, two, one. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show is the Phillips Pasta and Noodle Maker Plus. The Phillips Pasta and Noodle Maker Plus does all the work and lets you take, ca- take all of the credit. Add the ingredients, the machine will automatically mix and knead the dough, producing half a pound of fresh pasta in under 10 minutes. It comes with four shaping discs, to make a variety of noodles, including spaghetti. I'm saying it like uh, Giada De Laurentiis says spaghetti. You know who Giada De Laurentiis is? Not a clue. You don't have Food Network. I do, but I just don't spend my time watching TV. So Giada De Laurentiis is a host on the Food Network and she's an Italian-American. And whenever she goes to pronounce an Italian word, she turns 700% Italian. So it's like uh, tonight I'm gonna to make my family spaghetti, and it's like what? What's like I <laughs> like I'm con- now what's happening? So anyway, I'm gonna continue the read. It comes with four shaping des- discs to make a variety of noodles, including spaghetti, fettuccine, penne, and sheets for lasagna and ravioli. An included cookbook will teach you the big... Ba- Is that offensive? Why, maybe I was. I'm just thinking through this here, and I'm like, yeah. ah, I regret that. <laughs> include a cookbook will teach you the basics of traditional pastas and also help you create gr- grommet, gluten-free, and colorful vegetable pastas. Dame, what would you pay for the opportunity to have spaghetti made in 10 minutes without you touching it?
1: I'm wondering what the difference between the regular and the plus versions That's of That's a this. great like, question. Can I get the other one for just, you know, like 20 bucks less or something like that? Uh, I, this is going to be... One hundred and twenty bucks. three hundred dollars.
0: And here's the thing about this. my brother-in-law, uh, Mrs. planner's brother, wonderful man. He's an architect and so he's very process driven, loves mm-hmm. processes. like he's got me into making cocktails because he loves to take 15 minutes to make a cocktail, right? And uh, I enjoy that too. And he, he loves to make pasta on Sunday. He's make he makes fresh pasta every Sunday at his house uh, out in California. and he has a pasta roller and does mm-hmm. it the traditional way. And I think the roller is probably, what, 50 bucks or something like that. And so the only thing different from what he's doing, from what this is, despite the fact that he would have to pay $250 more to have it done, is that he's removing himself from the process because you just throw it in this thing and it spits it all out for you. And I got to think, if you're going to take the time to make fresh pasta, I think you enjoy the process. Otherwise, you're
1: just pouring in some... uh some noodles out of a it's box right it's like a bread maker right i mean either you enjoy doing the whole process yourself or you just want the taste of fresh homemade bread and you chuck everything into the bread maker and, and let it handle it itself i i think there is something to be said for the process
0: i think back to mrs Planner and i's wedding registry when we were 22 years old and all mm-hmm. the gifts we registered for we got a bread maker
1: what was the uh the craziest thing that you registered for for either Uh, baby shower or wedding registry? That's a good question.
0: We didn't do the things like I know some
1: people like get video game systems and all of that. Uh, I don't, you did yeah that was me i put it on there but you know why i put it on there why because i knew i could go back and get it for a discount because everything that didn't get purchased look at you you financial expert hack i i I think it's funny
0: uh we put tv tables two tv tables (laughs) were on our wedding registry (laughs) because as we first got married we're your kid we're 22 we're children uh we'd sit on our couch and watch the simpsons together after work and eat dinner and it was like man we were children dame what's in the news this
1: I do not picture mrs. planner
0: as a simpsons fan mrs. planner is very funny got an amazing sense of humor
1: huh she married
0: you uh well she has
1: bad taste in men dame what's in the news this week Pete, you and I love stories like this. I will be interested to get your reaction. Uh, a California man is sharing how his $150 annual Six Flags Magic Mountain Pass helped him pay off his student loans. Oh, I... I I'm the 33-year-old electrical engineer from Santa Clarita... who Say by, no more. Electrical engineer. <laughs> goes by Dylan. Revealed in a feature with Mel Magazine how he managed to pay off his student loans, get married... And buy a house after seven years of making use of his annual pass at Six Flags. How? You can pay around $150 for unlimited year round access to Six Flags, which includes parking and two meals a day. No. No. If you time it right, you could eat both lunch and dinner there every day. No. You're telling me
0: he ate breakfast or lunch and dinner every
1: day and used his food budget to pay off his student loans. The office Dylan was interning at in 2014 was just a five-minute drive away, so when he realized he could eat two meals a day, every day, at the park for a one-time fee of $150, he took the unique opportunity. He timed it so he could go to the park during his lunch break, then go back to work and then stop back for dinner on his way home.
0: For those listening on the radio or the podcast, I'm just shaking my head.
1: But what if that was the difference between him contributing 8% to his 401k? Shh,
0: stop. Shut your lips. Stop it. Stop it. Here's here's what's great about this story is it's put out there. It's interesting. I mean, we're all we're talking about it, but I always like stuff like this. It's put out there as though people are supposed to replicate that. It's like, well, this guy ate at six flags. Uh, seven hundred and twenty times a year. What's your problem? Wait, what? Quit drinking lattes from Starbucks.
1: Ah, uh, personal finance is a crucial, brutal place. Could you have done that, Pete? Could you have eaten basically glorified carnival food seven hundred times a year in your twenties? Uh,
0: under one circumstance, and that is if they had funnel cakes. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, the funnel cake is got to be one of the most underrated foods on the planet. It's a giant swizzly donut.
1: Yeah, funnel cakes, elephant ears. I mean, I, they're all good. What else is in the news? A year away from wedding dance floors makes wedding guests ready to spend. A Wedding Wire survey found that 68% of wedding guests splurged more than they typically would on gifts this year. Generosity extended to the newlywed friends and fam. With the average gift hitting $160 this no, year. No, get out of here. Up We're from up. $120 in 2019. $160. How many times have you spent $160 on somebody's wedding gift beat? No ones. I've I've spent
0: $160 uh, having drinks with a buddy who got divorced. Um, yeah. But I've never... That's, that's wild. So we did this thing back in the day when we used to go to a lot of weddings because we've aged out, but we're about to age back in mm-hmm. because our friends' kids are going to be getting married. Mm-hmm. We'd get a like a, a gift card to like a crate and barrel or something and then put the crate and barrel catalog in the box with the gift card, which is sort of creative. But then the 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 amount of that gift card would just sort of change over time as we got a little bit more stable, but it never reached 100
1: to 160 bucks. I can tell you that. I mean, could you have just like torn out the pages that had pieces that your gift yeah, card like could have it. paid for, like a yeah. cocktail mixing glass? Essentially, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what do you What do you think if you went to a wedding? I mean, hundred maybe at the most if there's we're super close, but uh, one sixty. Like, how do you even get to? I know it's an average, but what do you What do you think you're doing?
1: You're gonna to have to be pretty darn near and dear to my family for us to to, to crack into that that three digit uh, that strong three digit land at that point.
0: I also at that level, it's you're either buying them something you know they need, or you're giving them cash because or, or a gift card. Like I to spend like a hundred and sixty bucks on something speculative that may not be on their registry or that you think is neat. I think it's a
1: bad idea at that point. That's why you just buy them a used gaming system and call it a day. As much as
0: I think gift cards are impersonal, they are the most practical gift short of cash. Really? Yeah. What, what do you think? Underwear? What do you think is the most practical gift? Oh, I thought you said "im." sorry, I missed I, I thought you said impractical. No, I, uh, no, they are yeah, no, I think they're impersonal, but yeah.
1: practical. Practical. Yes, I yeah. agree. Yeah. Exactly. Dame, one more story. Uh turns out the pandemic changed how people view money, Pete. Uh hmm. really. Millennials and Gen Zers now want to retire even sooner. Ages 59 and a half and 59.4 for those two categories, those two demographics.
0: Okay. Well, maybe you should listen to the second segment of our show today, or was it the third segment? Just listen to the show every week because we told you, you better hit that 12% first year in your career. I'm tell you you can retire at 50. 15- That's promissory. <laughs> Let's not do it. Anyway, thanks for listening to the show. Damien Dunn joined me as most often dame thank you for not being related to me and thank you for your contribution
1: my pleasure on both the
0: rest of you i'm sending good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget i'm pete the planner this is the pete the planner show all right <laughs> yay we did it <laughs> i gotta stop reading email when i'm doing the show i mean really it's it's rude uh, i'm just telling people how rude it is
1: and that you continue to do it and uh, you disrespect your your uh co-worker no regrets <laughs> <laughs> well, where are you going for your big lunch today
0: uh i think we're going to big lug nice i've uh, got a co-worker uh, uh moving on taking another opportunity so go a little going away lunch that'll be nice wish i could be there i tend to like to stay uh friends with people when they move on in their career uh, here, the reality is uh people when when they work with you they're just spending part of their career with you. Sometimes it's long, sometimes it's short, but the expectation that they're going to be there forever is a little silly. So uh, generally the attitude I'd like to have is like, all right, let's celebrate it. You got a new job. Good for you. That's, yeah. that's my theory. Yeah. No, I think that's the, the kind and professional way to go about it. All right. So Dame, uh, we'll have your going away lunch next week. Um, okay. I just yeah. panicked a little bit. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Yeah, you have to stay forever. All right, everybody. Thank you. And as always, stay getting money.